This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. What's good, everybody? I'm Dion Rabowin for The Wall Street Journal, and this is WSJ's Take on the Week, the show where we break down the most important things to watch in business and financial news. We cut through the noise to get you ready for what matters. This week, we're expecting the latest business condition survey from the National Association for Business Economics. The survey asks business owners what their biggest worries are, how they're feeling about the economy, and whether they're growing or shrinking. We're also expecting the U.S. fourth quarter GDP report and the personal income and outlays report, which will give us the latest numbers on how much American consumers are making and how much they're spending. We'll get earnings reports from companies like Netflix, Tesla, and Intel this week, which could have a big impact on the next move in the market. But today, we'll be talking about a longtime stalwart of the U.S. stock market and the economy, Boeing. The company has been in the news for all the wrong reasons recently, and we'll unpack the big questions for investors ahead of its earnings report on Wednesday. But first, let's get macro. NABE, the National Association for Business Economics, is expected to release its first survey of 2024 on U.S. business conditions on Monday. The organization includes leaders from the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department and economists from some of the biggest banks on Wall Street. Fed Chair Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen are members. So its business condition survey carries some weight. As we look ahead to this week's data on inflation and the U.S. economy, it seemed like a perfect time to talk to Constance Hunter, Constance is a senior advisor at financial and economic consulting firm Macro Policy Perspectives, and she is a past president of NAEB. She joins me now to break down what's happening in the economy and how investors should be thinking about this week's data and the outlook for 2024. I want to start with this, Constance. What's your biggest unresolved question about the economy right now? It is interpreting the data wonkiness that we are still seeing as a result of COVID. So for example, if we were seeing this kind of breadth in job gains, which is very narrow, we would normally be seeing more layoffs. So our net monthly jobs gains would be much lower. However, because there is labor hoarding as a result of the way that firms got burned during the pandemic and not being able to find workers, and because of what I call the great resort where people change jobs, Firms are holding on to their workers longer. That's great in the sense that it's providing us this bridge of people remaining employed until the Fed has the right kind of data that allows them to cut rates. But between now and then, there's just wonkiness in the data. Um, There's funkiness in the seasonality. And so we saw that Empire State number very negative. And what we're seeing to me is indicative of when we have turning points in the economy at these inflection points is when you start to see 
this differentiation in what different data sources are saying. I thought that Empire State Manufacturing survey number we got last week was incredibly negative, as negative as any survey we've seen since the worst parts of the pandemic. When you talk about an inflection point, give our listeners an idea what you mean by that. So when the economy is about to change direction, so the economic data trends in most cases, right? Things, you know, prices tend to go up over time. If you look at most price indices, you'll see them gently sloping upwards. Of course, during the pandemic, we had a steep upward incline, and then now we're getting back more towards a gentle sloping. Um, You know, as the economy grows over time, it tends to trend. However, when that trend turns and it turns to contraction, that's when you start to see the noise. Likewise, if you're in a contraction and you're trying to figure out when is this going to end, when are we going to get out of it, that inflection point of the turn when you go to positive growth, you're going to see a lot of variance in the data and some outliers start to crop up. Got it. You and I have talked, and when I talk to investors on Wall Street, there's a lot of talk about the Fed, and I hear a lot of talk about earnings. But what's something you're seeing happen in the economy that not enough people are talking about? Oh, I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of productivity gains. We saw very strong productivity numbers in the third quarter. And the question is, how likely is that to continue? What's causing it? So we think there's a few things. Um, The normalization of supply chains has helped with productivity. The fact now that there is actually labor hoarding and, and there's low quits rates, people are staying in their jobs longer. Anybody who's changed jobs knows that there's a productivity loss when you onboard to a new place. Obviously, we're seeing artificial intelligence and other technologies start to really have significant impacts on productivity. And then finally, this is the best CapEx environment in a recovery that we have seen in five Mm. decades. So if you go back to the 80s and you index CapEx from the trough of the recession through the the recovery, we are doing better than any other period. So wait, Constance, I got to stop you right there because we got to talk through this because what you're saying, you're kind of dropping bars right now and you might be going over people's heads a little bit. So when you're talking about CapEx, you're talking about the amount of money that companies are spending investing in things, you know, like new buildings, new technology, things like that. And I think that's really an interesting point because a lot of the expectation coming into even last year was, okay, the Fed's going to be raising rates. Businesses are going to pull back on spending. But that's not what we saw last year at all. We saw really solid increases in business spending and in those capital expenditures or CapEx. So now that the expectation is for the Fed to lower rates, are you expecting that to continue? Yeah, I think we're going to take a little bit of a breather. Um, So we're expecting fourth quarter of 23 and possibly the first half of 24 to show a little either a flattening out or a slight decline in some CapEx. But then in the second half of the year, we expect that to resume. And remember, this is cumulative, right? Investment that has occurred over the last three years is going to continue to pay dividends in the coming years. Okay. And so what's the kind of outlook you expect or how do you feel like this could affect the stock market and the economy? I mean, does this make you a big bull? Yeah, I mean, I would say a reasonable bull. Um, Again, (laughs) volatility. Well, look, it's productivity is very difficult to forecast, Mm -hmm. but we're going to see some top line growth. And then where the rubber is going to meet the road is with productivity. So if we get returns, say, above 7%, that's going to be because we've had productivity gains. Mm, You're talking on the S&P 500. Gotcha. 
All right, so we've got the NABE third quarter business condition survey that's coming out this week. You are a past president of the organization. What's your take on the state of business right now? There's two sort of categories that the questions are asked about. And one is current conditions, and then one is the next uh, three months conditions. And that's what I'm watching especially closely. And we ask about profit margins. We ask about top line sales. We ask about employment. We ask about CapEx. And then we ask, is it going to be in equipment and software or is it going to be in structures? And so that forward-looking information to me is going to be very, very revealing. It was showing softness in the third quarter survey. And so it'll be interesting to see if that softness continues in this survey. So for our investors who are listening in, what's the takeaway that they should be looking for? If they if they want to be super bulls, not just regular bulls like you, uh, or maybe even super bears, right? What are the key <laughs> things in this report going to tell them about how to view the market right now? So... How the NABE survey might be helpful for understanding what's going to happen in 2024 in equity markets is going to center around the questions for top line sales and margins. And so here, of course, you can look at um, what the respondents say about the past three months, and then you can look at what they say about the future three months. One thing to look for is, is there variation in terms of profit margin and in terms of sales expectations? And how does that corroborate with other data that you may be collecting about those industries? And how might you think about those industries in the context of the Fed cutting rates? That was Constance Hunter, senior advisor at Macro Policy Perspectives and a past president of the National Association for Business Economics. Up next, we'll be talking about Boeing and what its latest troubles mean for aviation, airlines, and the aerospace industry. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. There are few companies in the U.S. with a bigger global footprint than Boeing. The company is one of two major commercial airline providers in the world. And to this day, almost half of all commercial jets in operation are made by Boeing. Its planes carry about 90 percent of the world's cargo. So the company's recent issues are meaningful in a number of ways. Boeing's stock has fallen by nearly 20 percent over the past month in the wake of an investigation by the FAA into why a panel on an emergency door blew off one of its 737 MAX 9 jets while the plane was flying at 16,000 feet. Boeing has been a part of the Dow Jones Industrial Average since 1987, and over the past month, its struggles have dragged down the index. Without Boeing, the Dow would have gained nearly 300 points from December 15th to the end of last week. With Boeing, the index declined by around 70 points. Boeing CEO David Calhoun was brought in with a mandate for change after two fatal crashes involving the company's 737 MAX in 2018 and 2019 that left hundreds of people dead. 
The company is expected to deliver its latest quarterly earnings report to investors on Wednesday. And there is likely to be a lot more interest in its future than in its past. We reached out to Boeing and the company declined to comment. My colleague George Downs, who covers the future of transport and mobility for the journal, and Sharon Turlip, who covers Boeing and the global aerospace industry, join me now to talk about what's next. Sharon, this is really quite a time for Boeing to be reporting earnings. What are you expecting? Are you expecting to hear that there is a plan? I mean, CEO David Calhoun, obviously, people are waiting to hear from him. But what about, I mean, the company's shareholders, stock analysts? Do you have an expectation of what the kind of questions you'll hear on this earnings call will be and how prepared Boeing is going to be to answer those? Well, Boeing right now is trying to do all it can to figure out what they need to do to get these airplanes fixed and back in the air. And at the same time, they want to reassure the airlines that their planes are safe. I mean, these airline purchase decisions, they're made years and years in advance. So it's not a case where people can just say, I'm not going to buy Boeing airplanes right now. So the real risk as it relates to earnings right now is what the company needs to do to fix these planes. Will they hold up production? Are they going to be able to make as many planes in the first part of the year as they plan to? And investors are really going to be looking out for that. George, that's a perfect place to bring you into this conversation. I think the big question for the airline aerospace industry is how bad is this? Is this just a Boeing specific issue or is this the kind of thing that could make people or has made people feel unsafe flying that could have a kind of ripple effect through the travel industry? Anecdotally, there's already been some reports um, from my colleagues who have been said they've been talking to passengers and they've said things like, oh, I've considered not sitting next to a window seat or I've been rethinking where I would sit in the plane. While these issues are related to Boeing, the air travel will continue and people are always going to need planes and there will always be some demand for planes. It just depends whether you're going to Airbus or Boeing in the near future. If you look at what happened after the Boeing Max crisis previously, you know, there was uh, a bit of a dip in air travel, but it carried on. It took a global pandemic to kind of see a real sizable dip in air travel. Mm. Sharon, I want to come back to you because looking at the market, investors clearly have punished Boeing and its stock has fallen since news broke about this structural failure. But the market reaction doesn't suggest that this is any kind of extinction level event or anything like that. So what would need to happen or what do we need to see for Boeing stock to really mount a recovery? I mean, are there things that maybe CEO David Calhoun can say or something in this upcoming earnings report that could soothe the market and get Boeing stock moving upwards again? Well, I know they'd like to be able to say, we have a plan, this is an isolated incident, and here's how we're going to fix it. But that's somewhat outside of the company's control because they need their plan to be signed off on by regulators. The best they can do right now, as far as investors are concerned, is make it as frictionless as possible to get this done. And I think they're aware that nobody's going to feel confident if they're placing blame or if they're trying to say this wasn't their fault or or that it isn't a big problem. Mm. And George, you covered the future of transportation and transit. This is the kind of thing that affects a company's future, that affects an industry's future. I mean, how does this look for the future of Boeing, for the future of air travel? When I was at the Paris Air Show in 2023, there was one thing that was apparent, which was that 
Airbus, uh, Boeing's rival, had turned up with a far more granular range of aircraft that it could offer than Boeing had. And that's partly because Mm. Boeing had spent a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort and focus on untangling itself from the MAX crisis. And, you know, with everything that we're seeing at the moment with this current issue, if that continues to grow and continues to spiral, it could take more time, effort and resources away from Boeing. That may not have an immediate effect. The order backlog for both companies is years long. But what we may see in the future is a point where Airbus has had a relatively unhindered path to developing new aircraft and to tailoring its aircraft for its customers' needs, whereby Boeing has had these hurdles that it's had to overcome. That was WSJ reporters Sharon Turlip, who covers Boeing and the global aerospace industry, and George Downs, who covers the future of transport and mobility. Up next, I'll be back with Macro Policy Perspective's Constance Hunter, who's going to talk about some potentially bullish developments on inflation. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com slash f-o-e-f podcast to secure your spot. One more thing before we get out of here. I want to talk about inflation. This week, we're expecting the latest reading of the Personal Consumption Expenditures Inflation Index, or PCE. When most people talk about where inflation is, they're talking about CPI, the Consumer Price Index. But the more granular PCE is what the Fed looks at. Last month, according to PCE, annual inflation fell below 3% for the first time since March of 2021. But December's CPI report showed inflation had actually risen from the previous month and was moving back towards 4%. Now, CPI has historically been higher than PCE because the way that it's measured doesn't adjust very quickly to changes in buying patterns. Either way, the Fed wants inflation at 2%, not 2.5% or 2.2%, 2%. Constance Hunter from Macro Policy Perspectives predicts that inflation will get there by April, which is way ahead of the Fed's forecast. Inflation getting that low that quickly would set U.S. interest rates up to fall significantly this year. And historically, that has been very good for the stock market. So during our conversation earlier in the show, I asked Constance what she makes this new divergence between the two inflation metrics and the fact that CPI inflation last month came in higher than economists expected. So during the pandemic, when prices were escalating, prices were only moving up and there was just extreme upward pressure. In a normal environment, one month you'll have some prices move up, one month those same prices will move down the subsequent month. Mm -hmm. And that variability is a sign of normalness. So the fact that we had an uptick this past month, I don't think is something to be overly concerned about. Now, if we start to see that repeating itself and we're we're seeing inflation come in at at three-tenths of a percent month over month each month, that would equate to an annualized pace closer to 3.2%. So that would mean there was some additional wood to chop. But at the moment, we're not overly concerned about one month's Mm. print. I like the image of Jay Powell out there chopping some wood. 
I like that. He would do it too if he needed to. Would he? Would he do you know Jay? And you know he'd be I do out know there. Jay. I I think I think if that was what was required to get inflation down, he would absolutely do it. So this week, I'll be watching the PCE report. That reading will tell us where inflation was at the end of the year and whether it kept moving towards the Fed's two percent target. Can the Fed start to set up a March interest rate cut as the market is expecting? Or will Chair Powell and company need to get out there and chop more wood? What we find out on Friday will tell us a lot. And that's everything you need to know to take on the week for Sunday, January 21st. This show is produced by Charlotte Gartenberg with additional support from Jess Jupiter. Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers. Michael also wrote our theme music. Melanie Roy is our supervising producer. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. For even more, head to WSJ.com. I'm Dion Rabowin. Stay smart.